We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike, here with Sam as always. Sam, how you doing? Mike, I'm doing great. Basketball. Basketball. We had a great week of Suns basketball. An up and down week, two and one. Yeah. Technically one loss in there, but a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. I feel very good about the opening week for the Phoenix Suns. I feel thoroughly entertained. I feel like we are obviously still waiting for the big three to play together. <laughs> and that's a big element of yeah. this that we're going to talk about. But overall, yeah. I feel as though I have been stirred. I have been stimulated. I have been exhilarated by some of the stuff we've seen early on from the Phoenix Suns. Uh, very excited to get into it because we have not recorded. Our last main feed episode was our season preview with Kellen. So we haven't that's talked right. about any of the stuff for the, for the fine old folks yet. Yeah, it's, once there's actual basketball, all my sense of like time and space just goes away. I've been that's all I've been doing every single day since the season has started, watching the Suns, and then on days without Suns games, watching other teams, and it's been insanely fun. But you're right in in for the Suns, we're lucky to be able to record this one after a really great victory um, at their home, their first home game of the season, where they did a lot of fun stuff, by the way, um, for Suns fans and. Uh, but the story of the whole beginning of the season is sort of injuries to start, unfortunately, because uh, as we know, Bradley Beal has yet to play a single game. Devin Booker played one game, looked like the best player in the NBA, and then hasn't played since. And who knows when they're going to be back, of course, as is tradition with Suns, uh, the way they talk about injuries, there's no real clarity on the situation uh, for Suns fans, which you know bothers some people. I understand from the perspective of trying to buy tickets, um, but from a competitive standpoint, I think the Suns only view it as we don't want to give anybody anything that we don't have to. Sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, Tuesday, Halloween, World Series game here in Phoenix, and a, another Suns game, what home game. What time do you know off the top of your head? Congratulations to the D-backs, by the way. Yeah, neither of us are huge baseball guys. I'm just going to be entirely yeah. honest, but it's cool though. I do think it's legitimately a very cool moment for the city. Do you know? Are those games taking place at the same time? No, no. Okay. A few hours before the Suns game, three hours before the Suns game, I believe, is when the World Series game takes place. And it's Halloween, and yep. NBA's spookiest man, Victor Wembanyama, will be in town <laughs> to celebrate <laughs> as this as we get our first look at the Spurs. We actually play the Spurs twice. In the upcoming week should be really fun. That one will, again, be on national TV. We're getting hit with the national TV. I mean, we knew it was going to be like this all season long. Frankly, we have like 40 national TV games. um, But all of our games have been nationally televised to open the season, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And that game, I mean, we can all cross our fingers and hope because it's a home game in particular. It would be nice to see the first game with all three guys healthy. 
Um, to start, I think the Suns are being safe. They're being careful with these guys. They're not playing them in games where maybe they could play. They're trying to think about the long-term impact of uh, what they can and can't do this season, maybe being a little playoff-focused with it. And that means a lot of pressure was on Kevin Durant to start this season. Uh, he was not good in the first game in Golden State and has been excellent in the two games since then. Uh, the Suns have outscored opponents by 48 points with Kevin Durant on the court over the course of the three games that he's played so far and have been outscored by other teams by 23 points when Kevin Durant is off the court you could in e those games. You could even take it one step further and say that the entirety of that plus 48 for KD being on the floor comes in just the past two games when yeah. Book and Beal were not playing. So yeah. for the Suns in the past two games to be plus 48 when KD is on the floor, sharing the floor with, and we'll talk about all of these guys and their respective virtues, and some of them have been quite good, but you know guys like Nurkic and Eric Gordon and, and Grayson Allen, Josh Okoge, it's impressive. It's, a, it's an impressive feat what the Suns have looked like with only one of their three stars um, in, in just the past two games. We'll get to KD more in, in just a second. I, I just want to ask you real quick about Book. Sure. Sure. Injury specifics, because his injury started out as a toe. Yeah. How it was described on the injury report. Um, and has since shifted to an ankle yeah. sprain. It's, tra it's traveling of up some his sort. Leg, it has traveled yeah. up his leg. Um, do you have any reactions uh, or concerns related to that? Uh, no, only because I think I saw the moment where he rolled his ankle. Uh, Dwayne uh, Rankin actually posted a clip of it, and I think it was probably... Uh, pretty accurate. In, there was a turnover in the Warriors game. I don't know if you remember this. It was in transition. He got past the first line of defense and then just kind of lost the ball out of bounds. And if you watch that clip, he rolls his ankle forward. So he kind of steps on the uh, the toes of his foot and rolls it forward. I have a feeling that that's where it came from. I don't know that that's related to the toe injury or if it's completely unrelated. Uh, as we know, like I said, the Suns aren't going to tell us, and that's fine. We don't necessarily need to know. We just need to know when he's healthy and when he's not healthy. And and right now, I think it's likely that that's probably just a rolled ankle injury, and, and hopefully he'll be back soon. It's one yeah. of those injuries where if it's a playoffs, he could probably play. Yeah, it's still I, not I necessarily a great idea, but right. um, in the regular season, it's best to, you know, there's always a chance of another injury. Yeah. Uh, with Devin Booker, you can be pretty specific about that because he played in the Christmas Day game after not fully healing from a, a hamstring thing and that aggravated a, a groin injury. Um, yeah. I think one thing kind of led to another in that one and I think for the Suns being as careful as possible when you still have Kevin Durant is what you need to do and I think it's funny because what do we have? 8, 9, 10, what, 11 games in the regular season that Kevin Durant has played for the Suns so far? Um, Yeah, we're up to so, yeah 11. A so whopping is, 11. <laughs> He's yeah, he's tied the amount of postseason games basically that the Suns have played with him so far. And the the Warriors game, it's easy, you know, we're we have to, you and I, look at every game on a game to game basis, you know, whether it be because we're recording a podcast or just talking about it online. And so, you know, it's easy to be critical and talk about things that he did wrong, and then the Lakers game comes and it was just in one of those moments for me where I'm watching Kevin Durant in that game thinking, Kevin Durant's on the Suns. That's so crazy. <laughs> like It's, it, it's, it's still, still, still crazy you, to me. Right? Yeah. Like, not a year later, but 10 months later? What are we now? Eight months? Yeah. Since since I mean, February? 20, 22 games. Yeah, and sometimes it's... It's all we've seen. It still hasn't quite sunk in. Um, the Lakers game, he took the, the level that he raised his game to. Obviously, we can talk about the fourth quarter. We can nitpick and the fact that, you know, he, he was out of gas. The entire yeah. offense had to be run through him. Uh, the offense with when KD is the only star on the floor, that offense only makes sense if the role players around him, who in theory are spacers, Eric Gordon, Grayson Allen, such, uh, can actually hit their shots. And in that game, they did not hit shots. And Vogel made some substitutions and kind of went for like other, you know, defense first lineups. And again, you can nitpick the hell out of that fourth quarter. But what KD did for the first three and a half quarters of that game and even finishing that game with 39 points 11 rebounds 14 of 28 from the field he played 39 minutes it took by the way 40 year old 
not actually 40 year old 38 year old lebron james <laughs> kd called him 40 years old that's why that's why i mentioned it it was supposed <laughs> to be tongue-in-cheek but it took lebron james in a panic move for the lakers playing that entire fourth quarter just for them to squeeze by us by five yeah. points when we were missing two of our stars very good sign for the suns honestly I mean, yeah, I, you know, I think like we could say that the depth didn't hold up in that game or whatever. But and and I even said as much the night of like on my Twitter when I was watching the game. But honestly, upon further reflection, like you put these role players into greater roles that they're not capable of. Like, you know, Eric Gordon isn't supposed to be stepping in and, and filling Devin Booker. But they shoes. do have to at some sometimes of the season. You know, yes, it's not their main role, but also it kind of is at some points of the season it kind of is but you're right and i mean to just add on that uh you know yuda watanabe josh Kogi are shooting 44 percent and 43 percent from three so far this season everyone else on the suns you could make the case is shooting well is shooting worse than their career average yeah let me so far the team i think we're only grayson allen 31 percent eric gordon 29 percent yeah. You know, Jordan Gooden, 27. We'll see what that ends up being. We're Kevin at 29. Durant, 27. We're at 29.7% as a team. Yeah. So, you know, and this is the this is the thing about, like, just the Lakers game alone. Uh, all of them, role player-wise, were bad <laughs> as far as offense goes in that game. If one of them was okay, they probably could have won. But all of them being bad at the same time, while Kevin Durant plays just sort of like Kevin Durant... I mean, that's going to result in a loss. But more often than not, these guys will get up to their career averages, most of them most likely, um, over the course of the season. Maybe some of them even shooting better because of the amount of space that the Suns have. Hopefully, Josh Kogi being one of those guys. By the way, we'll have to talk about him. Sure. Uh, and they'll play better. You know, the, they will just play better. But, I, you know, that game, that Lakers game in particular, I did find myself just thinking, this has to be so much more fun for not Suns fans, you know, it's oh my God. not it was Lakers a, fans. It, it, it lived up to the hype of being the, the first meeting between KD and LeBron in five years, which, by the way, I, I think I knew that in the back of my head, but it must have gotten lost somewhere back there because I forgot until it, it was brought up again like a couple days before the meeting actually happened. And it, it lived up to the hype. It was an awesome game. I'm not sure what the ratings were for that one. I know you don't give a shit about ratings, and we say all the time yeah. fans like shouldn't care about if the league is making money or not but it was so fun i have a feeling casual fans tuned in for that one uh and it was probably a pretty good ratings draw and it was so fun for suns fans too until the last six minutes of the game basically (laughs) but you know just watching those two titans that have played for so long go back and forth and also in in some ways it was gratifying as a suns fan to think both of these teams are awful without their star on the floor, right? The Suns were terrible without Kevin Durant. The Lakers were terrible without LeBron James, except that they're healthy, (laughs) you know, mostly. And the Suns aren't. And it's just nice to know that we're not in a situation where Kevin Durant has to do this every single night. Or at least we'll find out if we are at some point. We we hope to not be in that situation, yeah. Right, because if they're healthy, once they're healthy, they should be able to carry a lot more of that load, as we saw in the preseason and we're excited to see it as it goes forward. But yeah, I think Kevin Durant took a lot of unnecessary flack after that first game. And look, maybe the reality was uh, that it was a little weird for him to play in front of those Warriors fans. Maybe we discounted that. Maybe it was just a bad game where he didn't shoot very well, which happens to every star player every once in a while, but really came back in those next two games and showed that he's still Kevin Durant. Does he get to the rim? No, not well, really. He, he kind of <laughs> did in the past two games. I mean, not like sure, fine. He yeah, he's not Giannis, but like I don't know. It, he had what thirteen free throw attempts against the Lakers, and then averaging uh, nine a game now. Yeah, ten or eleven uh, against Utah the yeah. other night. So he kind of did get to the rim. Like uh, yeah, he's still he picking his fouls. spots. Yeah, for he draws sure. fouls, and it's not just at the going to the rim. He is driving. You're right, and I think he probably understood the the assignment if you will in in the last two games knowing that there's no Devin Booker and no Bradley Peel he kind of has to be the guy that drives other than of course Eric Gordon who still puts a lot of pressure uh on the defense when it comes to driving although for some reason that does not turn into free throws for Eric Gordon if anything 
he's he's actually creating more of the physicality than anyone else <laughs> on his drives because he just kind of lowers his shoulder like a running back and yeah. tries to get to the rim to create enough space to throw well, a little floater over them. It ha- and this is actually crazy. Yeah, Eric Gordon, fifteen field goal attempts. Just looking at his season stats right now, fifteen field goal attempts per game, and he's taken one free throw. Yeah, <laughs> forty five or 46 field goal attempts to one free throw and, yeah. in three games. And a lot of threes, of course. Right, but, of course. Like, not but all we, of them. We also, <laughs> we know, the reason I'm not worried about that, you know, we talk up small sample size theater at this point in the season and, and will be for the next few weeks. We know who Eric Gordon is. This is one of the guys whose, his game is <laughs> is not a secret to any of us um, among all of the new yeah. acquisitions that we have here this summer. Yeah. And we know what the statistics say for his, for his career. He gets to the free throw line. Like, again, not to the extent of, of like he's not going to get 10 free throw attempts per game, but he's going to balance out. Like this statistic is going to even out. And eventually Eric Gordon will be getting three, four free throw attempts per game. Like he always does. As long as he continues this pressure on the rim, uh, honestly, like last couple games, use the Utah game as an example. I was really impressed with Gordon's driving ability. Yeah. But I don't think there was necessarily an opportunity for him to get free throws as much because it's like, right. like he came in in the second quarter. This is when he was really torching them. Now we're, we're talking about the Utah game last night mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he saw, um, who is it? He saw Kelly Olenek was in the game and like you could, you could tell <laughs> that a, a, <laughs> something, something flipped for him. Like a switch came on. He said, yep, you are too slow. I don't care if I'm 34, 35 years old, whatever he is. You are too slow for me. He saw that there was like this flat-footed big man that he could just completely get on his hip, blow yeah. by, and cook. And at that point, he's not going to get fouled because there was no one at the rim. There was no one even rotating over. He got some wide-open layups in that game. So as long as he keeps up the consistent pressure, uh, the the fouls, the free throws will come eventually. They mentioned it on the broadcast, but apparently Eric Gordon's career high is against Utah. It's just funny how that happens with guys. They just like to play certain teams, and they play well against certain teams, and Eric Gordon was excellent in that game, and you know, part of the reason the Suns were able to blow them out, they are on the second night of a back-to-back, but part of the reason the Suns were able to blow them out was putting the pressure on them early with guys like Eric Gordon, and also I think the first time that Grayson Allen had a good game <laughs> was the Utah game. He finally kind of showed... His value showed his worth. I think he played well defensively and then finally was hitting some shots and getting to the rim offensively um, for, for the Suns. But yeah, like like I think the main takeaway is for me over, I think the two KD games in particular is if you're, th- if you're thinking about what the Suns can do while Bradley Beal and Devin Booker are injured... We don't know how long that will be. Hopefully we find out tomorrow. We're recording this Sunday night. Um, we don't know how long that'll be, but a lot of it will depend on how well the the other guys play, the role players play, the depth, as we call them. Um, and they have not yet played up to what they're capable of, meaning they still could win games. Like I said, if just Grayson Allen or just Eric Gordon had a good game, in the Lakers game, I think that could have been enough. But if they all play badly on one night, it's not going to go well. But I think they've all, in spurts, have showed their value. And as it all kind of comes together and coalesces, I think they're all going to show that over time. Now, Josh Okoge, we should talk about him. I mentioned him earlier, uh, has been good in every game, right? <laughs> that's one guy that's been consistently good all three games so far. I'm glad to hear you admit it. Uh, I'm, good, I'm, I'm kidding. You're not. You were never a Josh Kogi hater, um, no. but you've certainly. I mean, uh, is he is he impacting the game right now? I mean, this is such an early conversation, but it's like you well, know, his, we have to have early conversations at some point. His if people hustle, get mad about us using stats; they got to get over it, right? No, but I, I'm I'm saying more in the way that this relates to the playoffs because it's like yeah. his hustle is infectious and his attitude is infectious. And we've talked about previously how this is a Suns team that I think in general, you look at a lot of the positions here historically, um, and you think to yourself, this is a team that might struggle on the boards. Uh, but then in comes Josh Kogi, and he's grabbed like 50 offensive rebounds through the first three games. Uh, and obviously it helps that he's made his three-point shots so far. But is there any part of you that's more confident in Josh Kogi's ability to be a playoff contributor based on these three so, early regular okay. season games, or do you not feel that way whatsoever? Is there anything you could see 
from Josh and Kogi in the regular season, because we're going to be having this conversation a lot, Mike, I'll tell you right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Between now and April, that would change your mind about his ability to not have a repeat performance in the Nuggets series. Because I know for a fact that that is your main hang-up with him. So I think what is helpful about this team in comparison to last year's team is that it wasn't just Josh Okoge that was a nothing offensively. And this team in particular, you know, if you if you put him on the floor and it's Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, that's extremely good, right? Those guys can make up for a lot of the offensive shortcomings of Josh Okoge. But then you also put Yusuf Nurkic in there. And I think his passing along with Josh Okoge's cutting will make a huge difference. You know, as we know, DeAndre Ayton didn't really pass to cutters. I've mentioned it before. Every other pass to a cutter was a turnover with DeAndre, and that's not necessarily the case with Yusuf Nurkic. So I think that helps with spacing a lot. And also, once you start putting guys in off the bench, they can all shoot. And that's really helpful. With with what the Suns were dealing with last year, you know, it was either, you know, somebody who could shoot like Terrence Ross, but like was one of the worst defenders in the playoffs. Or it was someone like Landry Shamit who could kind of do everything, but when it was really the heat was turned up as high as it was in the playoffs, he could kind of do nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's less concerning to me with the way that this team is made up than it was in the past. You know, But like I said, the thing that's the nicest about the situation that the Suns are in is that if it's not working with Kogi, you can pull him pretty early and you have options. Whereas previously, you kind of had to play him when you were playing the Nuggets, you didn't really have any other options. Yeah, so it, it's it's just less concerning to me in general. Now. It it does help that he's he's been so awesome so far, and t- to be clear, he's earned the starting spot. I think he's going to continue to hold on to that starting spot for a while. They will experiment with other stuff. There will be games where where someone else starts. Well, he's the only one that can guard LeBron James and Steph Curry. Yeah, and that's what he did in the first two games of the season. Yeah. Right. There's nobody else on the team. You could say Grayson Allen, and I think that's probably pretty fair. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But he's I, not going to be. <laughs> I mean, I'm just. I'm just saying, out of the guys on the team, that's the you know size wise, that's the only one. Um, but I, I, yeah. Yeah. He did a good I, job on both guys too. Right. Nazir Little, he got some reps on LeBron. <laughs> he would. <laughs> he he would have gotten terrible. He he would have gotten cooked by uh by Steph for sure, and not that he locked down LeBron either for the record. Um, but yeah, I mean, Akogi, like, yeah, if you have to pull, if you have to pull him, uh, Yuda's right there and he's had an awesome first few games too. Yeah. Yuda's the only guy that the shooting has been unaffected by moving to the suns. <laughs> he's just still looks like the guy that was shooting the lights out. His highlight Brooklyn, last night, the behind, oh, yeah. the behind the back dribble to the lefty, crafty floating finish, finish floating yeah. <laughs> finish at the rim that got the entire bench up actually our friend patrick um the photographer patrick breen is that his last name i think so yeah um had a great shot reaction shot i don't know if you saw it of the sun's bench going wild as a reaction to that play uh with like beal and booker included standing up with everyone everyone was just amazed at that point but at that point in the game that it was already a blowout the suns were just having fun with it um and and i think Part of what was so great, too, was, like, that was a 20, 25-point blowout already. Like, clearly a situation. KD was already off the floor. They could have let their foot off the gas. But there's something, like, endemic to this team right now. There's there's something about this second unit and all of the guys that were assembled of they're not quitters and they all have this certain attitude and they just continued to step on Utah's neck. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it was Jordan Goodwin or Utah or Nazir Little catching uh, alley-oop lobs in that game as well. Like, they just continued going for it until, okay, now it's six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and fine, we'll bring in <laughs> we'll bring in the real scrubs, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that's when you can stop watching, pretty much, yeah. Well, I, and, and we still do. Trust me, I, I watched I watched Yudoka Azabuki guard some pick-and-rolls. I assembled mm-hmm. some notes. Uh, do you have any bull, <laughs> do you have any bull bull notes from last night? By the way, he didn't do anything. I mean, no, not really. How about but. this though? The crowd loves him, and it's we fun. knew that would be it's the very case. Very fun, yeah. But you have to admit that, like, keep in mind this is the home opener. 
they're unveiling the new ring of honor so like all the there are also some awesome photos of like you know nash stat and marion sitting all next to each other like yeah getting all cozy Chuck. with each other like there's yeah. there's just awesome photos of all these sons legends of the building last night but when bowl bowl checks in with four minutes left in the fourth <laughs> quarter that crowd is still just as loud as they had been all night previously they were still just as yeah in it there's that's a, you the know, bowl there's bowl a moment effect. You can't deny it. <laughs> there's there's he a, has a charisma. Oh yeah, no, it's absolutely true. It's there's a moment in in games where you kind of cheer when you've won. Sometimes it's at the very end of the game, and you give everyone sort of. It's like when the the team does their last bow at the end of a performance, almost. And that moment comes now when Bulbul checks in. And that's the one thing I will make note of is that there was a point in the fourth quarter when it was like 11 minutes left, and I was like, man, they're still not. They're still not putting him in, and they're up by like thirty. At this yeah, point. that's that's what I'm saying. But the <laughs> reason they were buried doing that in the rotation, he the, is. Yeah, the reason they were doing that, I don't even think it's that. I mean, yes, he's buried in the rotation. He's literally the last guy to come off the bench. But I don't yeah. think it's a disrespect towards those guy, those guys. Thing. No, I think it's that Frank Vogel sees that Jordan Goodwin's still falling on the ground, getting after loose balls. Utah's yeah. still playing awesome stand-up individual defense, getting out in transition. Like these guys earned. The minutes they they did not want to be taken off the floor even though easily you could have just played the third unit the entire fourth quarter and they would not have in a 99 percent chance i'd like to think 99.9 they would not have lost that game if you just played bowl bowl the entire yeah. fourth quarter right by then it's like kevin durant's already changed into a hoodie and a beanie mm-hmm. yeah so you're not gonna worry about it too much jordan goodwin you mentioned him multiple times there we have to talk about him because i think he like when I looked at, I was looking for the stat to try and figure out how much the Suns have outscored teams with Kevin Durant on the court, right? So I look at plus minus to try to figure out what that is. And look, you can quibble all you want, people listening here, with plus minus as a stat, and there's fair um, observations about that. But sometimes it just matches your eye test. And right now, Kevin Durant is at the very top of total plus minus on this team, meaning the Suns are playing their best. When Kevin Durant's on the court, number two, Josh Akogi. Which I think makes a lot of sense too, you know, with his as the only role player that's been consistently good throughout all three games. Number three, that's Jordan Goodwin. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. He has just been good. The combination of Josh Okogi and Jordan Goodwin and their ability to get rebounds as a guard for a team that struggles to rebound. And then Jordan Goodwin, the specific circumstances for him of the Suns basically playing without any other point guard on the roster for the two of the three games that they've played, if you count Devin Booker as a point guard, meaning Jordan Goodwin's importance is not just on the defensive end where he's been excellent. It's also on the offensive end where he's the only other player who can effectively dribble at that position <laughs> yeah. currently you know yeah. Kevin Durant's obviously fine you know Grayson Allen Eric Gordon have been fine as well but Goodwin has been the main guy that's been helpful for that and Jordan Goodwin he's shot 32 percent so far and I still look at him and go man he's ruled like he's yeah. been really good big so part far. of it big part of it for sure three-point shooting we need to see like he's shooting what 27 percent on three so far yeah yeah um, three for 11 though you it's know not a huge sample size right exactly to be a consistent contributor on this rotation once book and Beal come back and, and the minutes aren't necessarily going to be there every night for him anymore. Uh, we need to see that number go up, but even just like what he's doing attacking on the inside, like I think he's got decent touch out to, you know, that, that floater range. I think if he can get one foot in the paint, you don't mind. He's, he's one of the guys where maybe you actually don't mind him taking that short mid range jumper. You'd like him to go all the way to the rim, get fouled uh, and everything. Um, but I, I think he's got more to his offensive bag than we even realized and and we already were fans of his going like coming out of this trade we already yeah. knew what he could bring on the defensive end and knew that he could you know kind of run sets and and be a point guard um but i i think there's a real chance here that you found someone with just a, a rock solid all-around game on on both ends of the floor and in the situa- situations like you're talking about where the suns are up by a lot and they can put jordan goodwin and josh kogi in there i'll mention it again i'm really loving that you know, it's not going to work all the time because the offense does sort of grind to a halt when both of those guys are on the court. At the same time, 
but they just harass guys. They outwork them. They fight. They dive on the ground. They're not afraid of contact going to the rim. So both of them have seven free throws made already over those games, which for the amount of time that they hold the ball is good for what they've done. And, you know, as a team, that's what third and fourth to, or total or third, basically total amount of free throws made so far on the team. And uh, there's just guys that fan bases understand their value on the court where like I said if you look at his box score yeah things there are things that stand out like he has some steals you know he has some assists he has some rebounds but 27% from three 32% total from the field like nothing stands out about that but I just knew as soon as the Washington Wizards fans were like man we're losing Jordan Goodwin that sucks they were real sad about it you know, Joe House really loved him when he came on the podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, these are good signs for these guys because fans know they watch they watch games in, in and out. You know, they watch games. We understand what Josh Okoge did in the regular season last year. Other teams might not get it when they look at his stats. Fans from the Wizards, they understood what Jordan Goodwin uh, can do. And we've gotten a really good taste of that so far. And it's going to be, you know, a lot of the talk on this podcast is about the rotation. It's going to be interesting how they find minutes for Goodwin when the team is fully healthy. I Maybe they he takes some of Josh Okogis and each of them play a little bit less uh, in these games. But I, I just have a feeling he's he can guard multiple positions. That's the other part too. So it's kind of easier to slot him in than some of the other guys that maybe are incapable of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but being able to guard multiple positions, he doesn't necessarily have to be the point guard on the floor. Yeah. You know, he can kind of be something else. And that's really helpful. He's just been great. I really enjoyed watching him play. He could cut into other guys' minutes, too. I mean, I I don't think it's inconceivable that, like, Eric Gordon and Grayson Allen are very important parts of this team, in theory, if if it's all going to work out. But they're not untouchable (laughs) in this rotation. Like, not not at all. If if one guy goes through an extended cold streak and Jordan Goodwin's right there with the hustle to back it up, yeah, he could steal minutes from those guys, too. Work himself kind of into, into the primary backup. Uh, backcourt conversation also just real quick on Joe House love the guy obviously the fact that he came on our podcast was really <laughs> cool too um, and 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 nice to see that he's on board with the Jordan Goodwin uh, bandwagon but we need him to be wrong on Bradley Beal because <laughs> he <laughs> he has said some not so nice things about Brad Beal um, uh, that's all we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, what do you think about Yusuf Nurkic so far? Um, let me pull up his stats real quick. My my general. Well, I'll tell. I'll read him. I'll read him out to you while we okay, uh, sure. while we have it up here. Uh, let me find it too. So he's played all three games, which is you know nice <laughs> that we at least have that so far. Let me look at this on a per game basis instead of looking at total stats for him. And he has nine point three points per game, 
shooting 42.9% from the field, which is, I think, the stat for him that if you're going to look at as a bad stat, that's the one. Uh, 10 rebounds per game, so, you know, close to a double-double. Four assists, which obviously is one of the reasons he's on the team. 1.7 steals, 0.7 blocks, and then four fouls, which I think is something for him. And then minutes per game, he's at 26. So if you think about him doing 9.3 points and 10 rebounds in 26 minutes, that's not bad as far as rebounds and points for what you can expect <clears throat> out of him. Yeah, it's not bad um, on, a, yeah. on a per 36 basis. Um, I yeah. think my feelings on Yusuf, my, my, my first thought is that he's going to average more assists than I realized. Yeah. Um, so credit to you on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see if it holds. He's going to be top five in assists for centers this year. Well, let's think about who's in that list. Jokic, Sabonis, Shangun. Jokic, so there's there's guys that are easily going to pass him, which is Jokic, Sabonis, and Bede. I would put Jokic, Most Sabonis, Shangun is in there for and, sure. And Bede, yeah. And Embiid. So and then you have, like, five? if you count Carl Anthony Towns and yeah, Julius but I, Randall, which yeah, but basketball references, and I don't really either. Yeah, those guys don't play center on their team. So he could be that fifth guy. Yeah, he could. he could be. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take your word on that one. He could be that fifth guy. Yeah, maybe competing with like Bam or someone for that fifth. Spot. Yeah, B- exactly. Bam will be around. That's there, a good like three, and three, I think, Yep, that's um, a good point. Yeah, I just underrated the fact that like first of all, okay, I, I know he can find cutters. We know this, um, but I, I think I forget the extent to which like also the stat counters will just give centers like one or two assists per game just for handoffs, which good to me, screens to me, it's always a big difference. It's kind of been bullshit. Like I, I, I've always kind of I, thought I of that as bullshit. Yeah. But it's uh, definitely not the same as, as, as passing like a point guard assist. It's right. not the but same. If those are going to count, then good for you. Yusuf. if you're going to get your four, four and a half assists <laughs> per game and, and, you know, maybe low key be up there near the top. They're just going to, initiate a hell of a lot of offense through this guy at 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 uh, the high post area um and yeah his screens you mentioned his screens his screens have been awesome through three games they uh, really him and have Eubanks you both. know i th- exactly him and eubanks both i i watched on playback i watched some of the portland trailblazers play in it and now you sort of gotten just after watching the suns i've gotten sort of used to seeing the Nurkic screens and the uh screens by Eubanks and then I see some DeAndre Ayton screens and I'm like oh yeah that's right this is not the same and DeAndre Ayton is more capable of slipping and getting to the rim on those slips because he's he's more of a lob catcher um but you know you could see why the Suns want guys who make hard contact on those screens regularly to free up guys like Beal Booker and KD who can do a lot with those screens or even someone like Eric Gordon, who's done a lot mm-hmm. with some of those screens. Yes. I think that I think that Nurkic has been good in all three games. And I think there were times where Eubanks was bad and it actually helped to showcase what Nurkic is good at. The offense looks better when Nurkic is on the floor pretty regularly and the stats kind of bear that out. Defensively, I want to talk about defense as like a whole conversation in just a second. You can almost feel like but this I was, I was at the beginning. At the beginning, we're talking about players. Like at the end, I almost want to have a Frank Vogel conversation because I want to talk strategically what the Suns have been doing. Um, but Nurkic defensively, I think, has been fine as well. You know, there are teams that are going to make it more difficult for him, as we talked about. But I thought he kind of stood his ground against uh, the Lakers much better than before. The Lakers, I mean, what did they score to win that game? Like 95 points or something like that? It didn't take much. And, uh, you know, overall, I think defensively, he has been good. He's not great. And I think Eubanks is better as a defensive player, just defense alone. But I don't know. Yeah, I think Nurkic has shown that he's just a better player. Like I think you've seen that so far over the course of these games. I, I the finishing is hideous. <laughs> it really so, is hideous. So I understand I, okay. the concerns there. To, to address that real quick, I think Eddie was the one who actually has been bringing this up on the broadcast. I would like to see him be more confident despite the finishing numbers. I want to see him be more confident in his offense. Uh, yeah. When he gets close to the basket, I actually think he's leaving shot opportunities up for grabs uh, where he, he's passing out because like he thinks he can get that fourth, fifth assist, whatever. And, and I understand he's the short role maestro and all that. Uh, but I think there are some easy bunnies for him five or six feet out that those are shots that he could be taking. And even if he has bad finishing numbers for a center, if you get other guys in foul trouble, because that yes. is a shot attempt that's often going to get you to the free throw line. Plus all the times that you're going to make that shot because it's still basically a layup. 
Uh-huh. I, I think it's still good offense for him to just lay that up. So I, I'd second like to see on the team, be a little more free confident. throws in, in free throws attempted. Yeah, no, I, he's, second on the team. He's capable. And that but can I, go higher. Just exactly. Like you said, that can go exactly higher. could go way higher. Um, yeah. For the for the defensive portion, yeah, it's he's he's been all right. Um, let, let's wait and see, maybe because like especially in that Utah game, that drop was so deep. I don't know if you noticed. And by design, this is what I want to talk about actually. But I want to Can, see. I, I want to see. I know we're going to talk about defense as a full concept in just a second. Yeah. Who's the first team coming up that's really going to challenge us on a, on a drop schematically? It's not San Antonio. Next two games uh, are against San Antonio. I think we need to play a game against a real high caliber pick like and SGA. roll. High cal. Yes. Yeah. And the Thunder actually are coming up in a couple weeks, so that might be an interesting test. Like I want to see what this team does, and specifically what Nurk does against a high octane pick and roll heavy offense so not Steph because Steph's a different type of point guard the Nuggets um, would be nice too yeah the the Nuggets I mean that'll always be a challenge for its own reason but um you know I'm really happy with the defense so far and happy with Nurk's performance uh but we got to see it kind of go through the ringer a little bit yeah I mean you definitely shouldn't be making a decision about how he is as a defender after three games but in those three games I thought he's been most of the time good and I think that is a little bit surprising. Um, defense as a whole. Now, I think the Suns have outperformed even just three games. Look, who knows how long any of these stats will hold. But I think they've outperformed most everyone's expectations as a defensive team. So the far, right? fourth best defense in the NBA <laughs> as of as of the time of recording this. Yeah. Fourth in the NBA defensive rating. Of course, none of us expected them to be there. Yeah, through three yeah. games. And if you if you look <laughs> at just the teams that have played three games, they're the best defense. You know, the other two teams that are or the other three teams that are above them have only played two two games so far. And I I I think that I've been really impressed. And I think maybe part of the reason the defense has been better is when Devin Booker and Bradley Beal out are out. It's it's Jordan Goodwin coming in and playing more of those minutes, for example, or Nasir Little coming in and playing some of those minutes, and those guys are more defensively focused. So I think that has made a difference. But even just watching the starters play, they've just held their own. And I think what... So you talked about Nurkic. This is, this is I think, what's interesting, and this is why Frank Vogel is coach the of coach the of the Suns right now. <laughs> coach of the, yeah, give are we, the are right we now. starting the campaign? Give, give the coach of the year, let's go. Nurkic was in a deep drop against the Jazz, and he wasn't in a deep drop against the Warriors, for example. He played much higher because it was the Warriors. And then they mixed it up, depending on who was running the pick and roll, even with just the Jazz at times. Sometimes he was higher, sometimes he was lower, most of the time lower against the Jazz. And the same with the Lakers. Depending on who was running the pick and roll on the Lakers, he played high, he played low. Uh, you know, they even had times where they trapped in the Warriors game, for example, if it was uh, Steph Curry or, or Clay Thompson coming around some of those screens and just trying to get the ball out of those hands. And I think the versatility in scheme is is the thing that I think Frank Vogel is going to be extremely good at. For example, against the Lakers, if Anthony Davis was in the post, they doubled so fast and so hard. I posted some clips on it. They came off the opposite corner. They sunk down and brought long long arm defenders into the passing lanes and they forced turnovers out of those doubles. It's it's now, a great strategy just real quick on that against Anthony Davis who we all exactly. know not exactly. play, like that doesn't work against Jokic obviously. I was just going to say because LeBron same thing in the post no yeah. double. Yeah. They just didn't do it, right? But, they, but, and everyone was on the same page with what was going to happen meaning right. the Suns players are all smart and all prepared depending on the player that was in the post. They're going to bring that double on AD because he's not a great passer. They're going to force the ball out of his hands. They're going to try to keep because whoever's he's guarding just, him like out of foul trouble. Like I said on the, on the Patreon pod this week, he's just DeAndre Ayton, the, <laughs> the slightly advanced, slightly upgraded yeah. DeAndre yeah. Ayton is what Anthony yeah. Davis is. He's the evolved DeAndre Ayton. Um, but yeah, with LeBron, he's going to pick you apart on those passes and you kind of want to force him into it and try and tire him out if you can. And, uh, and they did that. Look, of course, we all know the outcome of those games, but it's more to me learning about what Vogel wants these guys to do after years of understanding what Monty was going to do, who was a little bit stubborn, you know, and I think Vogel's a little less stubborn in what they're willing to do and what they're willing to try. 
And I also think, you know, the versatility of these Suns players, their ability to adapt and react, there's not that long-term processing speed that some of the players had on the Suns, whether it be DeAndre Ayton or like TJ Warren, who forgot where he needed to be on defense pretty often, or Terrence Ross, who forgot where he needed to be on defense pretty often. The Suns have a bunch of players who seem to be on the same page uh, as we've seen the season start defensively. How teams react to that, how teams change as scouting reports come and uh, and other teams are better prepared to to see what the Suns are doing defensively rather than the beginning of the season when we're catching everybody off guard a little bit will be, you know, a change with with how those stats look. But right now I have actually been extremely impressed with what the Suns have been able to do defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's still so early. And, and I think, you know, just expanding on that point, we're still going to see so much more from them that we haven't seen, haven't had a chance to see just based on their opponents in these first three games. It's interesting because everyone says, like, we know Vogel is a defensive-minded coach, yada, yada, whatever. But I think sometimes people confuse that with the notion of uh, of that he's rigid. And that could that's the furthest thing from the truth based on what we've seen so far, right? Like, I think there's a true gamification. I sense... Uh, that he enjoys this process of coming to a new team where, as we know, 13 players are new. It's not just Vogel that's new. He's got all of these toys, and he's legitimately excited, enthused about the ability to play with them. Um, And so he hasn't exactly figured out 100% what the defensive scheme, what the defensive system is going to be all the time. There's going to be a lot of experimentation uh, with this roster, and that should excite all of us, even if the results are not always picture-perfect. We're thinking you f- ahead to the playoffs. How do you feel about like really crashing hard for offensive rebounds instead of running back to just stop guys in transition? Because uh, Monty kind of left those offensive rebounds like he would let Josh Okoge crash, right? But like DeAndre Ayton would run back. The Suns centers would run back immediately. Now it seems like the Suns are really trying to crash hard on the offensive rebounds. And obviously... I mean, to, I mean, they're like top ten in offensive. The guards are right now. not that it matters, but um, yeah, the guards are. But are is Nurk? I'm not sure. Sometimes, I, yeah, yeah. I'm it's not sure. Not I, I guess crashing. I guess I hadn't noticed him doing it like more than usual for a big. Because I think my philosophy would be let the guards do it as much as they want. But if we've got a big that we're a little bit more worried about having to protect on defense, then I, I probably do want them back. Um, Two point seven offensive rebounds per yeah, game for Nurkic so far. It's not bad. Yeah, I wonder what that is like in the entire NBA. Yeah, he is probably like 20-something <laughs> total in the NBA in uh, in offensive rebounds, you know. And I, I found that to be kind of surprising. I thought they would be really focused because we talked about it. Like turnovers, which they are struggling with turnovers. They're, they, you know, bottom 5 to 10 in, in turnovers in the NBA so far. Um you know, you think that transition is going to be a real focus, but when shots are up, the Suns are going to fight for those offensive rebounds, and they're not. It's not going to be just one guy. Often, it's two or three guys really fighting for offensive rebounds, and uh, they're not necessarily running back in transition just to stop the ball. And it, you know, just even slowing them down on getting those rebounds helps. And I, I've liked it. You know, I think if you have guys like Jordan Goodwin and Josh Kogi playing a lot of minutes for the team. Those guys are just ball hawks. They're going to get there. They're going to get their hands on it and they're going to mess people up. And I've enjoyed seeing that so far. And I'm curious to see if they continue to do that when Bradley Beal and Devin Booker are playing a lot of minutes. Absolutely. Um, some, some other guys here defensively. I just want to give shout outs. Basically we, yeah. we talked about Yuta a little bit already, but I think he's played some awesome individual defense. He's gotten his hand on a few deflections, a few blocks. Obviously yeah, LeBron his, was his trying to, LeBron was trying to go at him on every possession. He forced a few turnovers in those situations. It really didn't. LeBron really didn't do what he was trying to do against Utah. Eric Gordon. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's like, solid. Again, I feel like we've talked about this, right? Like, I feel like nothing about Gordon's game is exactly a secret to us. We knew he had this in him. But when we've needed a stop, Eric Gordon has kind of been a guy who's who's been there. And he's answered the call through three games. I, I, I thought he's just been more than solid on the perimeter. Yeah, I think he's smart, right? So you start there and uh, and you're in a good place, but he's been asked to do more over the course of the season because of the injuries and uh he's just solid. He's just solid. He's in the right place. He's extremely strong 
and he's capable of uh, doing the right thing in those scenarios. Um, another guy, if we're talking about, if we're giving shout outs defensively, yeah, Drew Eubanks, 1.7 blocks he was, he was my per last game one. in 18 minutes <laughs> per game. Very uh, Bismack Biombo style uh by the way by the way shout out to bismack biombo in case anyone missed it because this news yeah. is easy to miss bismack biombo did get picked up by the memphis grizzlies correct yeah. um so i guess we'll probably be uh, obviously they they lost Stephen adams so that makes sense yeah um, we'll mm-hmm. probably be seeing him at some point pretty soon yeah he's gonna play on that team i think they've been not good by the way i think i uh, I haven't had a chance. On the Patreon podcast, <laughs> I made a bet that they would get the over and wins. I think I'm going to lose that based on how they played so far. Haven't had a chance to catch any of their games so far. I'll try to soon. They've been no good. Um, but yeah, I think Eubanks moves his feet. He's able to get to the rim. And by the way, he's already, we know that he's been posterized a few times. I mean, in three games, we've had like two guys really go at him to try and posterize him. And he stopped both of them. One of them was a foul. One of them was a block. He is. He just. He stays in there. He doesn't run away from it. Like if they're gonna try to destroy him, go into the rim. He's not afraid. It's nice to see that out of a out of a center on the Suns. He's also got like he's not gonna get a ton of touches, but his jump hook, not bad. I yeah, I, so I don't bad. know. I don't know where that percentage is gonna land on this season. Like I don't think it's gonna be eight esque or anything. But I don't hate it. I don't hate it as as a little bit of extra offense. Nasir Little has gotten some minutes for the Suns. You talked about it. He guarded LeBron. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know more. I think more minutes than I expected him to get. Yeah, so, like he's he's ahead of, for example, he's ahead of Kadebase Diop. Should he be? We didn't really know. I don't know. I don't <laughs> my, know. My my impression through three games, and you know, I don't know if this is fair. I I think he just needs to hit his threes. I think defense has been solid for Nasir. I think he's shown us a little bit of the athletic pop too. Um, it's just fun. This is something I mentioned in the past, but it's just fun to have athletes on this roster again who like jump out of the gym and just get fans excited. Nasir Little is one of those guys, and uh, and we've been missing that for a couple of years. Uh, but he needs to hit the threes, and if he can't, I don't know. I'd give Bates D up a, a, a run to see what he can do. I th- I wonder, is it that Kata Bates D up must be looking awful in practice, or Nasir Little must be looking really good, like what they did in training camp? For Nasir right. to be ahead of him in in the depth chart so far, because if you look just at the body of work, yeah. Bates Diop had a better season last year for the Spurs, and and, right. and I don't think it's close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shooting percentage alone, <laughs> I think. Although Nasir Little was not a bad three point shooter last year in Portland, I think he shot something like thirty seven percent or something like that. It wasn't like really bad three-point shooting but i think he's shooting you know 12 percent on the sun so far and not a ton of attempts but not not a small amount either like he he takes them when he's out there and he should continue to take them on this team because they need him to take those shots they need to guard him out on the perimeter but i think when when he's played so far he's guarding stars which is asking a lot you know like you said he was guarding lebron there were times where he was even on Anthony Davis in some possessions, he just put him out there and let him play defense. And uh, if you have that kind of trust, Frank Vogel, like you said, there's must there must be something there um, that he sees. I don't think he's been terrible. I'll just say that. Like, yeah, I don't think he's been, I don't think he's been terrible. I, yeah. I I think I can see the vision for why he was brought on beyond yeah. just being like you know a tradable contract for the future and yeah <laughs> and kind of some other factors. But but no, I can see talent there. Um, but he's shooting like fifteen percent from deep so far. <laughs> Are you? Do you have? Do you have any thoughts on uh, Metu not being in the rotation at all? Kade Bates up. Like, is there any guys that you think should play that aren't playing right now? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think we we went for. I I obviously like Metu. I've said that on the pod already. I thought he was just awesome in preseason, um, and I'm encouraged by the way by the fact that you know going back to our conversation about Vogel with with um, scheme versatility, we got a couple minutes of KD at the five already. And that seems like that's coming before they tried Metu. <laughs> right? Yeah. And as far as which, when which the game I, is like on the line. Yeah. I get it. I, I I get it. If the game's on the line, you go to KD at the five. You don't go to Chemezi Metu like Chemezi check in. You ha- you know you haven't shot a ball in two hours, but you know here he is. The last five minutes of the game. No, that's dumb. Obviously, they're not going to do that. But if he's willing to put KD at the five, you know I, I I'd think he's he'd be willing to put Chemezi at the five in there eventually. So I would still like to see it. Um, what I think has been interesting is that I wasn't expecting it to be a nine-man rotation only, I guess. I thought we might get a 10, uh, but it's kind of felt like opening the season, all three games, it's been a nine-man rotation. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, ex- except for the blowout minutes, obviously. Yeah, and and it will probably. I don't know. We'll see what it ends up being when. So I mean, it, that's just it's just going to end up being really crowded if if that theoretically continued to be the case when they got healthy because I think clearly the first guy you cut out when one of Beal or Book comes back is Nasir Little. Um, but the big question is after that when both of those guys are finally back. Okay, so now you have the the choice: Do you cut out Jordan Goodwin or do you bring in you know anyone else? I'm not going to do this every week, but if that bowl bowl spot was a playable center, uh, you're going to have to let <laughs> it go. He's not playable. He's not playable in those minutes. And it would be nice if it was just a playable center where if, if Nurkic is in foul trouble, which he will be, you know, he, he he's not going to play a ton of minutes regardless, even if he's not in foul trouble, but like he's going to use his fouls in those 27 minutes that he plays a game. And then Eubanks, if he's in foul trouble or just is not good, at times, it would be nice to have someone to play. And the fact that we have Bull Bull eating a roster spot at this point, and they're not playing him until five minutes left in a game that they're up by 30, it's not perfect. You know, it feels a little bit like not a contenders type move. It feels a little bit like a, you know, like a team with uh, not trying to win, <laughs> for example. That's that's the roster spot that doesn't make a ton of sense. I, right? I, I, I know it's you not don't. even just a center, by the way. It'd be nice to have another point guard on the team too. Well, sure, and we'll be. T- I, I agree more on the point guard aspect, and we'll talk about that probably more as the season goes on. Bowl, bowl, yeah, man, he he hasn't been good <laughs> in preseason. I'm willing to admit it now. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they're getting rid of him. He's not playable when the game is on the line. Just period. Right now, yeah, but maybe but, he will be at some point in the season. I don't think so, but. Like right now, if they're like, we're trying to win this game, he's not going to play until the last few minutes. Would you say that everyone else on the roster, excluding the two ways, you could theoretically trust in, in a if do there or were dice? injuries if or there like were inju- foul trouble? Like if there were injuries yeah. or foul trouble, like you put Damian Lee, you put Chemezi Metsu, you put those guys in there and, and you're just yeah, like, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I feel better about that, yeah. But Bull Bull is where you draw the line. Yeah, and by the way, you know, we're talking about three-point percentage. This is only semi-related to the Bull Bull situation, but like... These guys who are shooting well under their career average, 31% for Grayson Allen, 29% for Eric Gordon, you know, 27% for Kevin Durant, even Nurkic, but I don't think he's going to take a ton, but Nurkic, all of them would probably shoot better if there was a great point guard that could step in and help them. Obviously, Devin Booker is going to make a huge difference, just creating gravity and space for these guys. And he's done them. that. He's done that for years. For years, yeah. it was o- everyone shoots better off his passes. Let's I, say, I you know. don't have the stat off the top of my head, but I swear, I think Mikhail Bridges over the past three years, off of passes from Booker, shot like fifty percent from deep, and off of passes from anyone else, shot like thirty. You know, it was, help, like, it was yeah. insane. <laughs> so. The help that comes off of somebody like you know in the corners, if it's like Yuta Watanabe or one of these guys, the help that comes off of them is going to be different when it's Eric Gordon driving compared to Bradley Beal or Devin Booker. Those guys are going to help out a lot. But like in the minutes without them, if they miss another game or two, you can see why the Suns still were interested in another point guard. Another point guard would help to get those guys better shots in positions to help them to make them. So, you know, just thinking about shot percentage-wise, factor that in, you know, people who are listening, in thinking about this conversation. Because once Devin Booker's back, those percentages will likely go up. You know, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on that one over a longer period of time. But even in the meantime, as they get used to playing with each other, someone like Nurkic can make great passes. Kevin Durant, we've seen him make a lot of great passes on this team so far. And then Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, other guys. Like, you know, you look at the assists situation for the Suns. It's really funny because after Devin Booker, no one's averaging more than four. And it's Yusuf Nurkic is the next guy tied with Kevin Durant, four per game. There's just nobody out there that's capable of creating a ton of shots for these guys other than just Kevin Durant getting doubled, which means it might be two or three passes until somebody else is able to take that final shot. Um, So it's just, you know, I don't know what they're going to do about this long term. Maybe Bradley Beal comes back, Devin Booker comes back, and one of those two guys is playing every game for the rest of the season. They don't have to worry about it at all because Jordan Goodwin's pretty good off the bench if he has to be that guy. But if that does not happen... They probably will end up looking for a point guard at some point this season, I think. And it would be Bull Bull on the chopping block. Bull or, Bull, or maybe Nasir, Nasir Little. Little. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe they find a way to package two of these minimum guys once they're tradable, um, you know, a few months from now Look, and, uh, and making that move. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it, my friend. But in the meantime, the fact that we are here, we are two and one, yeah. and our big three has not played together yet. 
Granted, Not there bad. have been there have been some playmaking issues along the way. They are close to the bottom of the league in turnovers per game. So far, I do think that will improve once those guys finally get healthy. But yeah, not bad. Not bad. Wemby. He's coming. Halloween. This is why you can't completely knock Bol Bol. Sorry to bring him up. Two games again. in a row, by the way, not just Halloween. Two games in a row against I would him. I yeah. would start Bol Bol for <laughs> one possession. I would I would have him do Just this. hack him. Here's my question. I haven't actually looked. Um who does the who does the tip? For the Spurs, is it Zach Collins because he's the center? Or is it Wemby because he's no? The it's got to be Wemby. I don't Wemby, know for right? sure, but it's got to be Wemby. It's got to yeah. be Wemby. I would just put Bol Bol in there for for the tip, <laughs> and then Foul and uh, and Frank Vogel could give Popovich that double thumbs that up. Double that double thumbs gave. up, the classic, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that classic he gave Shaq uh, in the first game of the regular season a few years ago. Um, have you watched him? What have you thought? Of any, course, any thoughts? of course, yeah. I've watched him. I mean, yeah. I hope it's not blasphemous to say because I understand like. You know, Robert Ori haunts my dreams and everything too. Like he ruined my childhood. I get it. Like I, I did, I didn't like the Spurs growing up, but this has been the first Spurs team, maybe ever, that I can just I f- can see myself getting into these guys and watching yeah, a lot until of their they're games. Great. I right. mean, until I've the, liked to meet them in the playoffs or something. Right? Sure, until we meet, until it becomes personal, and I get that. But like I've followed Wemby for a while. Not to act like, you know, I was scouting him when he was like 13 or anything, but just to say that, like, I've been watching his highlights for the past few years because the hype has been enormous, but he is such, not only such a uh, generational talent, but also such a humble kid. If you, like, watch his interviews, I think he's fairly uniquely equipped to come into this, like, firestorm, this media firestorm that's being created and handle the pressures that are being put on his shoulders, which is, you know, we often talk about, like, how remarkable is it that LeBron James, all the whether you love him or hate him, all the pressures that he's faced over the past 20 years, and, like, what's the worst scandal that you could come up with about LeBron? Playing in the social media age, negative headlines, negative social media all the time. Like, think, think about what Michael Jordan would have faced if he had played in this era. Of like yeah. constant negativity and and you know just negative news. Yeah, we that, would we would call him an unethical scorer, a foul baiter, a, f- a foul baiter, <laughs> and an unethical scorer. The gambling thing would have been a lot bigger. It's like yeah. you know the fact that LeBron's record is so clean is a miracle. And, and blurry when, pictures of Michael Jordan at the casino <laughs> is funny to picture. Yeah, and and when you when you look at Wemby, I mean, I can't predict the future, but he's got his hand on his shoulders. I think yeah. he's, I think he's going to be okay. Um, yeah. And, and good as a basketball player too, for the record. So I'm excited for his career. I hope he stays, stays healthy. Yeah. I'm guessing KD's guarding him. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. it's just what it's going to have to be, which is pretty cool. I think it's, and, you know, I think, I think he's probably, when is probably going to take that as like a challenge, you know, that this is the guy that when has been compared to the most. I think there's a best case scenario prospects. here for both of these guys, like where, KD has some sort of welcome to the NBA moment on Wemby, right? But I could also see Wemby having a highlight where he, I don't know, like Yeah, blocks, one crossover like, or something. Like yeah. One, yeah, like the Allen Iverson time he crossed yeah, exactly. over Michael Jordan. Or like exactly. if he blocks KD's shot, which no one ever does, I could see KD looking at him like, oh shit, like this, this, this is the future. I'm obsolete. Like, they, you know, they don't make kids like yeah, this, right, you know, right. or, you know, prospects like this don't come around often. So we could we could see kind of both of them give it to each other a little bit. It should be fun. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch him play uh, against the rest of that I'm team sucks. Um, I like Vassell De- rocks, man. He's Dev- been so good. Devin Vassell rocks. You know, I like Collins in his role. Um, I'm not a big Keldon Johnson fan. Haven't been for a while. Um, I, I think, think he would be good of, on. Kind of a black I think he hole. would be good in a small role on a on a good team instead of a big role on a bad team. Maybe I think um, he's a little miscast there. So I, yeah, I, I, I think the the way that people have talked about Wemby, he's played played twenty seven minutes a game. Like he's not playing a ton of minutes to start. First of all, but also there's been a lot of conversations about how do we get him more shots? How do the Spurs get him more shots? It's like just let him just let him play a little bit for a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, can I, I just things say will even out over time? You know, it is different. You know, things will be fine. And, and look, I think he's not played great in every minute he's played so far, but he's a rookie and he'll be fine. I mean, can I just read, like, it's only been two games, but his per 36 minutes, 
yeah, stats, sure. 24 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists, 3.3 steals, 2.7 blocks, 6 yeah. turnovers. Yeah, it's a lot of turnovers. It is but a like, lot, yeah. If that's your baseline where you're starting as a rookie, he's going to be fine. I Remember <laughs> the Chris Paul trade episode that we did, though, where yeah. one of the trades that I proposed was that San Antonio should get Chris Paul? Yeah, they would, I mean, I just, would, like, yeah. watching Sohan start as their point guard, I just still yeah. feel... I, Trey I, Jones off the bench, yeah. I feel reaffirmed that... I don't know if Chris Paul would have accepted that situation. Maybe he, like, only really wanted to go to a place where he felt like he could compete. They would have made the playoffs. But, like, if Chris Paul was their point <laughs> guard, then you know Wemby's getting 18 to 20 shots a game. Yeah. And you would feel, I would feel so much better about, yeah, just what their offense looks like on a consistent basis. They would have made the playoffs. I feel confident in that. I'm looking forward to that game. It's coming up. And uh, we're recording this Sunday night. So for most people listening, it'll be tomorrow, Halloween, and then another one a few days later, home and home, I believe. One in Phoenix, one in San Antonio. I hope the Suns win both games. We'll be back after the first one Wednesday, Sam, for Patreon. Yes, sir. Right? Sounds yes, good sir. to you. So if you're a Patreon member, we'll be back at, talking about that first one. If you'd like to join, you can join patreon.com slash the timeline. If you haven't already, check out our merchandise, ethicalhoops.com. We have some cool stuff there that you can check out. Um, other than that, we'll be back. We appreciate you all. It's very fun for us to have the opportunity to talk about real basketball on this podcast. We'll be back very soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.